grandkids or your adult kids, and, or maybe it's a coworker at work, whatever it may be. And some of you have started reconciling. You've made that first move. You've, you've reached out to them. Or maybe you're, you're eating your piece of the blame pie for the very first time. Or, or you're trying to do something, but at the same time, the person that you're trying to reconcile with maybe is uh, a, uh, a repeat offender. And you've done this before, and you don't want to get hurt again. You want to guard yourself because you don't want to be injured. You don't want to go through all that mess. And we're talking about reconciling. It's like, dude, I love that person. I want to be with that person, um, but I don't want to get hurt again. We're going to start at Matthew chapter 13, verse 53. And we're looking at some of those close familial relationships. Not just familial relationships, just relationships, period. Jesus has been into his ministry about three... um, he has a, a earthly ministry. Let me back up. He has an earthly ministry of three years. He goes into the ministry when he's 30. He grew up in a town called Nazareth. I mean, everybody knew little Jay, okay? They, they saw him grow up. He'd spent 30 years in the town. His family was there. He has childhood friends there. Uh, he had went to these kids' bar mitzvahs. He had went to the, the gals' bat mitzvahs. He, he just kind of came up with them, uh, fishing together, hunting together, you name it. Jesus was a person, a little boy like everybody else. In verse 54, um, Jesus is, has come back home. He's been out doing his ministry all around the Galilee and all around Jerusalem, raising a woman from the dead, healing this woman of, of, a, of a female problems who, deal with, who dealt with it for 12 years, gave sight to the blind, doing crazy stuff, and he's been teaching all these incredible things, how he and the Father are one, and the guy's just, he's trending all over Israel, and he comes back home, and it's almost like an Olympic medalist comes back in. Man, it's a big deal, and they're so happy to see him. You know, finally, somebody's going to put Nazareth on the map. We're going to be known for more than just being the wrong town to be from. So he walks in in verse 54. He says, then he returned to Nazareth, his hometown. When he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed. Man, we're glad to have this old, we're glad to have him here. This guy is setting the area on fire. And they said, man, where does he get all this wisdom? And by what power or authority is he doing all these miracles? And for, you know, for the very first time, Jesus is kind of received as a rock star into Nathers. He comes home, his ministry's been successful, and, and people are saying, maybe in the back of the crowd, dude, I heard what this guy's doing downtown. He's, th- th- there was a woman came to him dead, live. Uh, some, he was so cool, man. Uh, he was at this place teaching. Somebody peeled the roof back and dropped an old boy in on a cot, and he got him up. The boy was paralyzed. He did some things, and, and that old boy gets up. And, and you want to hear about this woman, man. She had female trouble for four uh, for 12 years and Jesus heals her. He's teaching everywhere and people are flocking. He even fed a whole group of 5,000 people with nothing more than a Happy Meal. Jesus thinks it's incredible. And when He comes home, man, all these stories are coming with Him. And the people are amazed. Finally, somebody's going to make Nazareth a good town. Verse 55. We go from dude's awesome. Verse 55 says, Then they scoffed. Oh, dude, he's just the carpenter's son. That's Mary's boy. I know his brothers, Jim, Joe, Simon, and Jude, and all of his sisters, they still live here. Where did he learn all these things? Basically, what they're doing in verse 55 is the rock star has went away. Now it's just little Jay. That's just little Jay up there. I know him. My daughter had a crush on him when he was 17. My boy used to run with him in the day. You should have seen the fish they would bring back from the Galilee. You should have seen that boy comes from a poor family, but he's a good kid. There's a whisper heard as Jesus is teaching. Because remember, he's up in the synagogue. And some of the people in the pews start whispering to one another. 
You know he's all German, don't you? Mm-hmm. You know he's a bastard. I'm going to tell you how I know that. Do you see Joseph's name in that text anywhere? Uh-uh. If you were introduced in Judaism, you were introduced by Jesus, son of Joseph, or you would have been uh, James and John, son of Zebedee. Joseph's name is not mentioned. What they were literally saying was, <laughs> virgin birth, whatever. And so they begin to scoff him. The one that they were just saying, man, this dude's awesome. Now they kind of begin to turn things around. He's saying, they're basically saying, he's no son of God. He's a carpenter's boy. Don't even know his name. And his mom is Mary. We know all of his brothers. That boy, if he's fixed my mama's, uh, my, my mama's uh, kitchen cabinet, and it's already coming off the hinges. They start bringing up all this stuff. How did they get from verse 54 to verse 55, where they were amazed to now they're, they're making pot shots? The people were looking for a Messiah, and Jesus said, hey, me and the Father are one. If you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. And all they would say, dude, that's just a blue-collar kid. He's a blue-collar He grew up in a home just next door to me. This is Mary's son. They're slamming the, the virgin birth when they said that. He's not from God. He's from the south side of town. His brother Jim was just at my house last night playing poker. They think they know Jesus. So they start finding fault with him. They think they know Jesus. So they start criticizing. They think they know Jesus. So they kind of begin to have a little bit of contempt. Let me tell you something that you already know. Familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. You ever notice how the longer you're with someone or something, it's not near as good as it was in the very beginning? You know, you date somebody for maybe the first six weeks or six months, and it's like, man, everything they do is awesome. Oh, doesn't she chew her food so cutely? Isn't that nice? And, oh, her little snore is so cute. You get, 30 minutes, you get 30 years into that. Do you have to breathe so loudly? <laughs> do you have to pop your gum? Do you have to tell a story that has no beginning, no end, and you'll bring in new characters throughout the thing with no background story, and I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be hearing. The longer we're with somebody, the more we pick apart their faults. Because familiarity breeds contempt. You ever get a brand new job? You left the job that just stunk, and you go in, and it's like, oh man, how come I didn't come here 10 years ago? This is great. This is super. But you find out that six months into it, it stinks just as much as the last job you left. You see, at the beginning, everything is good, but familiarity breeds contempt. Whether it's at a job or at a church or whether it is at home. Have you ever started those things and somehow it's just not as good later as it was in the beginning because familiarity breeds contempt. Jesus' hometown had seen him grow up for 30 years. They thought they knew Jesus. They had seen him more than any other town in the entire Galilee or Israel in general. And they had developed a familiarity to him. And they had contempt. And I thought, man, why are these people so mad at little Jay? He didn't do anything. They just showed up. Go back a, go back a chapter. And Jesus is out there working. He's, he's preaching. He's doing all this incredible stuff. And it looks like Mary and the brothers come up and see him while he's at work. And, you know, it's like getting a call or a text from, from somebody while you're at work. It's hard to take that call. You feel me? Jesus is out there working. Mary and his brothers come up. They ask one of the ushers, hey, come here, come here. We've been sending texts to Jesus. He ain't returning them. 
uh, mom called him, and he, he hate buttoned her. He didn't even take the call. And so they're there to talk to Jesus. They came all the way from home and they want to spend some time with Him. And this is what Jesus says. And Jesus was speaking to the crowd. His mothers and brothers were stood outside asking to speak to Him. Someone told Jesus, Hey, uh, Jesus, your mom and your brothers are outside and they want to speak to you. You want me to bring them in? Jesus said, Who's my mom and who's my brothers? Then He points to His disciples and says, these, these are my brothers. These are my mothers and my brothers. Now, if I would have been Jesus' parent, I'm going to tell you what I would have thought. Did he forget where he came from? Did he forget who I am? And you know, I'm just getting real with you. Lots of you who are parents, you get mad at your kid if they don't take your call or they don't respond back in their text. It's been 10 seconds. How come they haven't replied? And so they, 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 were, they had to have had hurt feelings. They go back home. And again, this is, I'm, I'm, this is how I just imagine it would have went. I can't tell you this is what happened. Mary got home. How was Jesus? Was it good? Was it good? He's looking good, I bet. And Mary said, oh yeah, he's fine. And you can tell automatically if the woman says, it's fine. It ain't fine. He was okay. No. He wouldn't even take my call. We came to the door. He wouldn't even open up. He was busy. How can you be too busy for your mom and your family? On Mother's Day, how can you not do that? And I'm sure she just kind of went off. So when Jesus comes back, rock star, then, oh yeah, you wouldn't take your mom's call. You wouldn't even see your brothers. Maybe the relationship changed. They would rather be mad at Jesus than to accept Jesus' words. I'm going to go back into verse 57 of 13. We bring that baggage into this chapter. The people have already got over the rock star image, and now they're scoffing, and now they're pulling out fault and calling him all kinds of things. The Bible says, and they were deeply what? They were deeply offended. Nazareth, his hometown, was deeply offended, and they refused to believe in Him. That word offended means to entice or to get trapped. Basically, in, in my vernacular, the people of Nazareth got sideways with Jesus. They were offended by the things He was saying. They had heard what Jesus had said in Matthew, verse, uh, in Matthew 12. If you're not for me, you're against me. And if you're not working with me, then you're working against me. They had heard that. And if God was saying that, that's one thing. But this is little J. You're no Messiah. You're no Son of God. You're the Son of Joseph and Mary. Now, if I would have been Jesus, I probably would have got sideways right back. If I would have been Jesus, I, I probably would have had to have, have had, had to do something. Uh, they said, you're no Messiah. We've heard what you said. They had cynical spirits. And when you have a cynical spirit, you begin to have a heart that gets hard. And they put up a fence between them and Jesus. They had a hardened heart. They put up a fence between them and Jesus. And, and Jesus didn't get freaked out. He didn't get offended. He didn't, he didn't cast down fire from heaven. He didn't do a Sodom and Gomorrah thing with them. This is what I think Jesus did because he knew it was a volatile situation. He knew that they were offended. So I think what he did is he called his disciples and said, Come here, boys. I got something I want to teach you. And then in verse 50. And in verse 57, the rest of the verse, they were deeply offended and refused to believe in. And Jesus told them, come here, boys. You know, a prophet's honored everywhere but their hometown. And a prophet's honored by everyone 
except their own family. What I hear Jesus saying is this. Familiarity breeds contempt. They all knew little Jay, but they didn't know that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. Sometimes, church, the hardest people to get along with are those who are with you the most. And what's sad is that the Familiarity breeds contempt. And when we're in that relationship with that, with that person that, that, that we're in love with or we're in a relationship with or we work with or whatever, um, we, we spend all that time with people and it seems like that the people who really know us the best get the worst of who we are. And those who think they know us the best really get the best of who we are. I'm going to tell you what I mean. Oh, I just love your wife. She's so friendly and she's so nice and she's so amiable. And man, she just helps, she helps out with this and, and that. And how many times have I heard somebody say this? <laughs> you want to see her at home. <laughs> she ain't that nice. But you can flip that around too, guys. Oh, he's so nice. He's, oh, you're so blessed to have him at the husband. She'll say... Uh, she won't say it. You ought to see him at home. And that's exactly what, that's the, kind of the, 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 the situation that's going on. They think they know him, but the familiarity breeds contempt for the things they say and they think, even how they react. So those who know you best tend to get the worst of who you are, and those who think they know you the best really get the best of who you are. Familiarity breeds contempt for the things that person in your life says, thank you, and get mad when they chew their food too loud. And we get offended. And what we do is we kind of put up that fence, and what that fence does is that it protects us. We've been hurt, so this offense, we put up a fence, and, and now we're guarded with that person. And this fence is, is good with us because now it not only keeps certain people out, but now we can let who we want in. Then shut the gate. And then there's this freaky thing in this relationship because of, uh, of something that was said or something that was posted or something that was whatever. And we have this fence. Uh, maybe somebody came home at, at Christmas or Easter and, you know, you got in a fight about CRT or BLM or immigration or abortion or whatever, you put the top topic, fill in the blank yourself. But something happened, man. Just things got weird. So because you don't want that weirdness there, you don't want that, uh, that thing, you just, I'm going to stay right here behind my fence. And the relationship changed because the fence went up. That's exactly what happened to Nazareth. Nazareth put up a fence against Jesus and they missed out on something. They put up the fence, and the Bible says not a whole lot was being done there. Verse 58 says, and so he only did a few miracles there because of their what? I'm going to tell you what put up the unbelief. It was the offense. Wouldn't you like to just kind of yell at Nazareth, dude, if you only knew who you're putting up an offense with, if you only knew what Jesus could do in your little town, if you only knew what he wants to do there, if you would just take down the stupid fence so God can move in power and strength in Nazareth, if, if you would just put it down, wouldn't you just like to scream it out to him? But we can't. You see, when you put up a fence, it not only shuts out other people, but the relationships we have are connected with the vertical relationship and the horizontal relationships. 
when we begin to have when we begin to have offenses in our life, we not only keep people out, but y'all, we can actually keep God out of our lives. The reason why Nazareth didn't get all the cool stuff that the other towns got is because they were offended. And because they were offended, God said, well, I won't do much there. And if you have a different interpretation of the text, please show me after church because I, I, this is what I see. He didn't do many miracles there because of their unbelief, because of what happened in verse 55. Now, when you put up a fence, it not only shuts people out, but it, it stops the relationship between you and God. Here's the challenge today, church. Say this with me. I refuse... To live offended. How about it again? I refuse to live offended. I refuse to live offended. That's a tall order today, ain't it? Daggum, everybody's mad over something. And if they ain't mad, they're mad because they're not mad. We live in a day of outrage. We live in a day where everybody is just so quick to be offended. We live in a time where people have short fuses and hair triggers. They're mad all the time. But church, we can choose to live without offense. Preach. How do you get that out of the text? Because Jesus could have been offended in this situation. I mean, he could have just been mad and he could have done all kinds of things. But he didn't. He walked away. He didn't stay mad. He didn't get mad over their actions, their words, their views, their opinions, their beliefs. Maybe you've made the first move in a relationship that's got crunchy. Maybe you've, you've made the first move. Maybe you've had your piece of the blame pie. You're saying, what's the blame pie? So here, next, here last week's sermon, you'll understand that. And it's a great teaching. Maybe, maybe you've got those relationships that you know, were really good at one time and now they're funky. Um, maybe somebody you used to run with and that person's now, uh, maybe he's running around talking about people and talking about you and you're just not down with that and you just want to put a distance on that. And you, you, you don't know what to do. You know that person loves you and you love that person, but something's there. Maybe you're a, a mom of a special needs kid and you love your sister, but her sister's... Boy, but your sister's boyfriend is a schmuck, and you don't feel like having the, uh, the, the, the conversation of it's not appropriate to say the R word anymore. And he won't listen to you, and he refuses to stop, but you love your sister, but you don't want all the baggage that comes with the boyfriend, and you're, you don't like the fence that's there, and you, you want to do something. It's tough, man. These things that we're talking about, they're, they're difficult. And you might be saying, well, is he, is he, is he talking about me? Is, 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 is he preaching talking about me? Listen to me. We all have these stories. We've all been on one side of that story. Number one, and this is a whole other sermon, but I want to give it to you because I like it too much to so just leave it on the cutting room floor. Number one, if you, if you messed up a relationship, you've done something wrong, do yourself a favor. Just show yourself some grace and some compassion. You've not taken your piece of the pie yet, or you have may not made the first move yet. That's okay. Give yourself some grace. Secondly, in the relationship, make sure you bless more than you stress them. Make sure that you bless others more than you stress others. And that's just some relationship stuff. Okay, we're going to be talking about turning fences into guardrails here in a second. And it's not going to be easy. We're going to be talking about turning the fences of a fence into guardrails. And it's not easy. And here's the thing. If I tell you that it's not easy, I hope that that makes the medicine go down a little bit easier. If you know that something is going to hurt before you get it, I appreciate the heads up. This is going to hurt. But it's worth it. There are some guardrails that we need to put up. Mike, what's that look like? 
Here's our fence. We want to reconcile these relationships, so the fence has to come down, but that fence can now be a guardrail. It can keep your relationship out of a ditch. It can keep it off from going off track. It can keep it going straight. I know you don't want to get hurt again, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you two guardrails today that will help you forward in that relationship. The right side, uh, guardrail number one, right size expectations. Church say right size expectations. Not everybody is going to have the same view and opinions that you and I have. Everybody is different. When we expect people to think exactly what we think and see eye to eye with us with everything, y'all, we have too high of expectations because not everybody sees everything the same way. And have you ever heard this? Well, I shouldn't have to ask. Mm -mm. If you have an expectation, it can't be unconscious. You have to speak it. You have to let your expectation known or people will never get it. They can't read your mind. And once that expectation is agreed upon, understand, y'all, this is not your control. All you can do is get your expectation out there, but make sure the, unreal, make sure the, the expectation is realistic. Unrealistic expectations can place themselves. <laughs>